Welcome back to the Financial Coconut Podcast Network, the leading personal finance podcast network in Singapore. I'm your host, Reggie, aka Your Chief Financial Coconut, and every Thursday, you will finally get to chill with us. We will be bringing on some of the quirkiest, geekiest, leading voices in the personal finance space to give them ample time to talk about their stories, the lessons they have learned over time, and some good advice for all of us. What has aged well? What didn't do so well? Why did they do what they do? So sit back and chill with tfc and you know we talk about people not saving enough or not being able to save enough to retire when you retire do you plan on continuing to work on the side or are you really the kind of person who will not do any more paid work for the rest of your life there's no correct answer but what does what do you think you'll want to do what do i think i want to do at that age everyone, my name is Lisa. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Lisa's Adulting in Singapore. I started it at the end of 2021 um, and it really kicked off in 2022. Uh, one of my videos went viral. It's about how I budget my salary and the title is something like how I live on 3.2k a month in yeah, Singapore. Yeah. Um, that really kicked off and then I think in February I posted another video about how I bought my HDB at 24 years old that also kicked off and did very well. People started reaching out to me like the financial coconut and I went on your show also yeah, at the end of yeah, yeah. Uh, in the middle of last year mm. and yeah I try my best to post videos when I can. <laughs> Go <laughs> go commit to like doing more in yeah. 2024. Uh, and it's been good. I think I ha- I don't put a lot of pressure on myself to mm. post mm. frequently. So I feel like I have control over like really when I post something, it's really well thought out. Yes. Uh, yes. But of course cannot always be like that. I hopefully next year will higher be able frequency. To, <laughs> higher more frequency. Consistent. Yeah, that's been my channel. And so far it's just been personal finance videos, mm. uh some house related videos. I did a house tour this year. Mm. That was I think a year and a half in the making. Uh why is it a year and a half a little bit for all the my... outsider people? Like why <laughs> they, why is why does it take one and a half? The the back end. Yeah, um yeah. okay, firstly on the production side, when I record my videos, there's a script and there is my mic and I'm talking into the mic I'm editing almost like a powerpoint slide to accompany my um my script with a house tour it's full-on like I got a film b-roll I got a a-roll film my shot so it wasn't just the script it was also the visuals that I had to think about and the angle what I wanted to share about my house because really I could talk about my house for a whole day for 24 hours if you want that video but I had to of course con- um condense it uh, in the end, I got it out and I'm very pleased with it. A lot of people also like that video. I think probably people who are not interested in fi- personal finance, they chanced mm. upon my video. Yeah. Home tour um, is a whole vertical on its own. Yeah, yes. and I think the intentionality behind my budgeting can be seen in my house tour. And so it matched my, it suited my channel mm. really well. Like I love making something and putting it up there. Mm. So I want to do more of it. But just recapping 2023, right? Did, did you achieve all your goals in 2023? I think mean, you set out to do some mm. stuff, right? Just let us understand a little bit on that. At the end of 2022, I made a video called my 2023 money goals. I did the same thing at the end of 2021 where I set out my 2022 goals. Uh, it's financial goals um, in that I say I want to save a certain amount a month or a certain amount by the end of the year. The main difference between my 2022 goals and 2023 goals is that in 2023, I focus more on savings in a month. So I say I want to save $400 towards a holiday every month. Whereas in 2022, I said I wanted to save, I think, $7,000 in my retirement by the end of the year. Um, And I changed that because firstly, 
uh, investments fluctuate. So even though I did put in the monthly contributions that would add up theoretically to 7K, I didn't actually reach 7K because of the market being not in a very good place. So I thought for 2023, just make it easier for myself and say I want to save a certain amount every month. That's the main difference. And the great thing about how I set my goals is that I will definitely achieve it because I've set it up such that I'm definitely going to be able to save that amount mm. every month because it's been accounted for in my budget, which fits alongside all my other priorities like my bills, um, how much I want to spend on myself, my insurance. I love how bills is a priority. Anyway. <laughs> electricity <laughs> yeah, is a yeah, priority. Yeah, no choice. One, no choice. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so I've set it up such that I will always hit it. Ceteris Paribus, like I am still employed at the end of the year. I have no emergency expenses like healthcare expenses that I need, um, I need to suddenly pay for. So if everything goes well, I will hit my numbers by the end of the month because it's I've set it up so that it's a mindless thing. Every month, the money just automatically goes to the savings account um, or the investment platform. And ta-da. And ta-da. It's... Yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned in my video, it's a bit of a cop-out because like, oh, I have this goal, but really I set it in January and then by <laughs> no December, stress. the money Guaranteed. is all there already. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Cetrus Paribus, by the way, for Cetrus all, Paribus, of, you, yeah. all oh. of you that don't know what is Cetrus Paribus, <laughs> oh. all things held, held constant. Yeah, right? all and, variables uh, remaining equal. Yes, yes. Are you an econ student? No, I am not. So, okay, okay. Cetrus <laughs> Paribus. Yes, wow. I love it, right? I'm starting my day with Cetrus Paribus, yeah? <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, fair. So, But then, maybe a push on that question, right? In other words, you, you are not trying to do stretch goals. You're not trying to like stretch it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like some people mm. when they set goals, right? There, there is the crazy goals that we'll never achieve. I don't even mm. know why people set those goals. Mm. It's like they set up to fail, mm. right? And mm. then there's the, the other school of thought, which is you want to set a goal that is a little bit stretched, mm. right? I mean, you're not going to get it easily because where you are at, right? It's like you guarantee almost mm. you get it, right? You set it up for it and mm. you're definitely going to get it. So like what is your take on stretching it a little bit? Yes, I've heard of that. I think there's also the, um, they say 10% beyond your limit is a good, place mm. like you so that it's it challenging must, enough yeah. that you can push yourself yeah. but not so challenging that you want to give you up just flop, yeah. so when I choose the number mm. like say I want to save $400 for my holiday fund and I put it in my budget and everything I do look at I take a step back and I look at my overall budget and I think could I maybe spend less on my personal shopping like fund spending to maybe push my holiday fund by $50 more Th there is never a perfect situation where I can spend as much as I want and also invest and save how as much as I want. So I do have to negotiate with other aspects in my life. Like say if I really only budget $500 on recreational spending and recreational includes things like if I want to go for classes or um, gyms or socialize more with my friends, I'm going to, I'm really testing myself on how much I can do in that month if I'm going to prioritize my other goals. The testing the limits is there in that I'm negotiating other aspects of my life in order to meet my financial goals. My financial goals are not my number one priority in my life. Um, I do try to make my life as balanced as possible, whether like it's taking care of my health or taking care of my relationships with my friends and my family. So there is that. In 2022, I did like, you know, I say I want to save 7,000, but I was thinking on a monthly basis, I can really only save enough to get 6,000, 6.5. And then I tell myself, I have $500 more push to 7k that kind of thing uh but i i think being realistic being honest with yourself about you about what you realistically can achieve is key to meeting those goals because mm. like why set yourself up to 
to fail in a way, like to not meet your goals, that's that's so it would be so demoralizing to yeah, me yeah. if I'm like, I want to save twenty k by the end of the year with what so coin? Object- yeah, yeah. Object- objectively, it's not possible. Yeah, right? and so, then what, why you why you set it up to fail, right? Yeah, mm, yeah and it 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 makes you feel good at the end of the year when you see the numbers at the end, but you know you already set it up for yourself in this way. You mm. are setting up the runway for you to win again. All things being equal by the end of the year. Nice. I, I I like that thought, right? Essentially, choosing the goal itself and setting mm. the numbers in itself is already the key metrics for success to begin with, mm. right? And, and that's a big part of goal setting and budgeting and, and all that jazz, mm. right? And you also did the whole year of like no buy, no mm. buy thing, right? I, I know that every other video somehow got buy something. <laughs> so, how, has, how, has, how has that journey been? No buy, low buy, mm. you know, and how, how has it changed your view? In 2022, I embarked on this low buy project. I talked about it in the previous podcast. It's a variation of the no buy and the no buy year is just, as it sounds, essentially a year where you don't buy anything, but in a, it's not so like you don't spend anything. It depends on, you can choose the category that you want to uh, impose a no buy on. And the low buy is just a variation so basically where I restrict how much I spend in that category rather than just blanket ban, no purchasing anything at all from this category. And when I started the low buy in 2022, I wanted to make that project public and share how I've managed the low buy every month. I started with six, uh, for the first six months, I made videos um, tracking my progress. It got too tiring to keep making videos every month just on that low buy. So I moved to a blog post and for the whole of 2023, I continued with the blog post where I summarized my monthly um, spending and how it aligned with my budget or something like that. But in 2022, the low buy, when I started it, what, like the, it was more than financial considerations. Um, when I imposed a $50 fund spending restriction on myself, it was more than just uh, wanting to save money. When I started the low buy project in 2022, my motivations were also... Um, mental, right? It was to get a better handle on my spending behavior, spending patterns, the way I was thinking about buying things. So the motivation, I would say, I, I would tell people it's more than financial. However, there was a really strong financial incentive also. Yeah, because, because at the end, you're going to have this extra... N- not so much that, uh, but more like financial necessity. Because mm. in 2022, I was in no place to be responsibly holding on to that kind of spending behaviors. So the context is in 2022, I had been only staying in my place for about 10 months. I was still building my emergency savings. My salary was uh, 3200 at that point. So my, I didn't have any side hustle money by then. So it was the necessity of needing to manage my fund spending helped to fortify my commitment and discipline to the low buy project. Mm-hmm. But of course, the mental and emotional benefits that I got from the project were very valuable. And aside from saving money and being able to hit my goals, I also refined my my ability to value items. Like I know intri- intrinsically to me what an item's value is to me. And so it wasn't like some great realization, oh, I don't need things in this <laughs> life. Or like I'm, I've been thinking about shopping wrong all this time. Mm. It was more a slow refinement of that ability to understand something's value to me like on a personal level and so it, it is that it is that lesson that I carried over to 2023 I did stop the low buy in 2022 so in 2022 I had the $50 budget on myself uh, for myself every month in 2023 I didn't have that budget anymore I had a loose budget um, 
of effectively $300, but I told myself that I'll only spend $100 every month. I put it, I call it my sinking fund. So a sinking fund of $100 every month to spend on whatever I want. And then I put aside $200 also in a sinking fund, but something that I didn't want to spend in that month. I said like I would ac accumulate this Oh my gosh, nerdy, what I call the medium term <laughs> sinking fund. If you watch my video, yeah, yeah, this would yeah. all make sense. Yes, yes. My Please medium, watch her videos. Yes, yes. <laughs> my yeah. medium term sinking fund. And this is to account for unexpected big ticket expenses that are not emergencies, like, yeah, not like healthcare or anything. Um, but more so, like, if I needed a new mattress or if I needed a new phone, I would, I would have that money put aside. Or like during Black Friday sales, when you want to stock up on stuff and you need, and I need, and I would have exceeded my $100, I would have come from the medium term sinking fund. But effectively, I had about $300 to spend a month. Um, and that's six times as much money as I had last year. So it was a different set of challenges that I faced compared to 2022. But I did, I was able to bring over the lessons that I learned from 2022. But I would say in 2023, my two biggest challenges were firstly like the thought of how like having to struggle every month with the thought of how to best optimize my $100 because $100 is a lot of money but it's also it's also not, not a lot of it's money. not that much money <laughs> yeah. you can either spend it in yeah. one go Boom. or you can take like the whole month thinking about how to best spend that $100 and my which is also related to the second challenge of how to stop seeking out things to buy um, because when you're wondering how to best spend your $100, you're looking at all these different places wondering, is this the thing to buy this month or is this the thing to buy this month? I will have to continue to work on this mm -hmm. for the next year. 2022, very little money. 2023, suddenly a lot of money. 2024, I'm realizing that I don't want to be thinking about how to spend money anymore. It's not how I want to use my time. And I, that is what I want to focus on. Less so how much I'm spending every month, but more so how I spend my time i like that i like that a lot yeah. can, can you kind of expound a little bit like how has that shift occurred i mean you did the no buy low buy thing you revalue you know things learn to mm. kind of like realize okay what does this thing mean to me right mm. so how did that kind of thing shift is it built on the basis of okay now you have like a lot more that you don't even need to really think about it mm. so then you can reprioritize the effort somewhere mm. else and focus on time the greatest asset right that's, mm. what, that's what everyone says like, right so is that yeah. kind of the gradual shift it's something I've been thinking about the past few months when I mentioned the two challenges of wondering how to optimize my budget and wanting to stop seeking out things to buy they work hand in hand right like to know how to best optimize or best spend you want to see what available options you have and the seeking and the searching seems free scrolling online seems free because you're not buying anything but you're paying with your time and it's a compulsive behavior that i have unfortunately developed this year with my increased ability to buy things by virtue of having a larger budget and it's not a new behavior like you in the past two decades compulsive checking on social media on the internet on your phones that's a it's a thing it's a thing it's a it's, thing. it's a growing problem it has yeah. been a problem for a long time okay. and for me that is manifesting less so in the social media space mm. but more so in the compulsive checking of deals, deals and mm. Vouchers. Yeah, yeah. 
claim this voucher, yeah. uh, spend later, you know, yeah. all that kind of like coming, with, click the yeah. point. You Without know, like, naming any yeah, 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 specific because not sponsored platform. La, but yeah. yeah, it's a really unpleasant habit to have for myself because it takes time away from things that I want to be thinking about. And it's time that I'd rather be spending on other things, but it's just a really terrible habit. So not even next year, I think right now it's something I want to work on. I'm thinking of maybe no commitment, but thinking of like swearing off online shopping for next year like the 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 experience of shopping online if i really want something i'm gonna walk to a mall and bring myself to a mall and go window shopping in that way i think the experience of shopping has changed so much in the last few years right like from being something that you do in store people talk about shopping addictions and then you imagine people with like huge huge shopping bags walking out of a mall it doesn't look like that anymore now it looks like parcels coming to your door it's a lonely experience I feel like last time if I were to shop I would always be with a friend walking down Bugis Junction yeah it was a more social experience not that the money I spent back then was in any way responsible or wise but I was young then but it was a social experience now online shopping is like you in your bed at home when you're supposed to be sleeping or when you're supposed to be paying attention to your family so it's really different now I think it's a much different it's a very different challenge yeah no and, and honestly it feels very stressful yeah like because like in the malls or let's say you're shopping mm. in, in a physical space right you're not gonna walk to three malls to find the best deal yes uh, it's yes. a lot of work you know get to the next mall the next mall i mean yes the whole street yeah. has a lot of malls but you're not gonna go there mm. but on the app right you go to every single one that yes. sells the same thing and yes. you compare and say it is not like a bit cheaper now, yeah. and then after you do that whole thing right it's already an hour Yep. Yeah. And is it was it worth that one dollar fifty cent thing that you exactly. wanted to buy? Exactly. Exactly. You're yeah. just saving that fifty cents. You know, it's like it is it's crazy. Yeah. The way that the apps now are designed, right? It's taking lessons right out of the social media yeah. platform playbook. You know, you get people compulsively checking by offering them limited deals flash deals or vouchers and it becomes and you offer them everything they could possibly want like from groceries to decor to from household necessities to luxuries you offer everything on the platform so that they wouldn't go to anyone else Mm. i recently finished this book called digital minimalism by kel newport Mm. um and he talks about like new technologies in this world and he describes it as a lopsided arms race because every new technology in the what he calls the attention economy conglomerate, they are fighting for your attention. Your your attention and your eyeballs on their app is ad money for them. Yes. So their incentive is of course to get you to get you to stay on their app for as long as possible. And they do this by engineering their their platforms in such a way that it's so addictive, it's so compulsive to you. And I saw a lot of that, like not even from social media, but just from my habits of scrolling scrolling on these apps and try and engaging with it in this exact way that they yeah. intended for me like the companies intend for me to i i feel rotten i don't want to continue engaging like spending my time in this way anymore yeah. it's not good for my mental health it's not good for my wallet but but just on that note right recently i went to thailand Mm. So I had a short trip in Thailand and I did like a whole five-day digital fast. Like Mm. no phones, you know. I mean, I had my phone for maps, Mm. but that's as far as it went. And now I've regained a lot more control over like, 
I don't need to keep listening to podcasts, or, although I'm a podcaster, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you got to take mm. a break from all this digital shit, right? Mm. Like, it's very noisy. Mm. Right? So I can kind of sit with myself for longer. I can read longer. Mm. I have more attention. Mm. You know, I can feel more like, you know, I know cheesy like mindfulness, mm. you know? I, but, but, you know, there's some basis to that, yeah. right? And, and I can feel like I'm getting control. Mm. Like, previously, I couldn't, like, I couldn't even go to the toilet without my phone. I understand that. Yeah. I totally relate so to that. It, if eventually it felt like clutches. The word is clutches. That means you cannot live without that mm. thing anymore. Yeah. Right. But after I do that five day fast, right, I said, oh, now I can. Mm. It's okay. The phone charging, charging. It's mm-hmm. fine, right? I'll still use the washroom, right? And and I think that is that's a process of kind of getting that back. It's amazing. Mm. But more importantly, based on what you were just saying, right? Pre-trip, right? Before that trip, you got to book everything, right? Mm. I was on a shopping platform, yeah. right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'll sit there, I take out my Mac, you know, like full on, like yeah. one hour. To you want to get all the coupon codes to save on the trip that you were already planning, exactly. but you, I totally get it. Exactly. Yeah. You know what's the best thing? At the end, I found out that I just go to the uh, hotel website, I book, that's the cheapest. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing after is, all that time. after all the time, I went to the hotel, I booked, that's the cheapest and I got the premium one and like Atta service, extra things, right? But you know what's the best thing? The best thing was because i was in and out of the few apps right they were all mm. tracking me right so yeah. after i booked the other hotel this hotels this one of this platform sent me a special code you know you, you get the idea yeah, special yeah. code yeah. on my next booking right and and because i was shifting to different hotels in that stay right, i ended up booking back with that ho- the, the platform because they <laughs> gave me an even better rate compared to what they would give you know um the standard players and mm. this is the algo doing its work right mm. and it's crazy i was i was i was in a little bit of a shock after that i was mm. like what the hell what are you guys doing like mm. you know all my moves you have studied enough data sets to know that when someone comes in and out in this pattern, yeah. this is what they are thinking, right? And then what do you do if they drop off? Do this. I was like, oh my God, that's so scary. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a lopsided arms race as Cal Newport puts it. Oof, okay. Like how could you possibly compare to all these algorithms who always, their tentacles around your every internet search, your every online move, but on, uh, back on the topic of like budgeting, right? Mm. Like budgeting for next year because I think you've kind of gone through this for a few years mm. and you've, you've, you've laid out quite a few evolution and the challenges mm. you're facing, which I love it, right? <laughs> but going forward, like in the next year, are you going to change your framework or how is your budgeting framework going to be like mm. for 2024? My budgeting framework throughout the years has evolved, but the the methodology has always been the same it's like you have a cake and you have to figure out how to divide it. So in 2022, um, I followed the 50-30-20 rule that I read on Seedly. It's where 50% is to your fixed expenses, 30 to savings, 20 to investments or the other way around. Um, and then in 2023, I found um, the, oh my gosh, what is it? 40, 2010, 2010 mm-hmm. on Finance. Mm. But there they are vari- the same, variations yeah. of the same thing. Yes, it's yes, yes. you have a the broadest category and then you assign sort of like a percentage to it. And it's really arbitrary. Mm. Depends on your income also. Like if I were budgeting a 4K income compared to a 10K income, those proportions are going to look very different. Um, 
it's not anything new. Like if you look online, it's the first thing people like it's it's a very standard method of budgeting, you know, figure out what your expenses are, the things that you cannot change, and then you figure out what you can change, split up into broad categories. I feel like I don't know, through my brain, it's 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 very straightforward and easy, but I it can I don't know, does it come across as complicated to somebody who say doesn't is not interested in personal finance, which I think is such a pity because truly I think it is not difficult. Mm. It just requires some time for you to really sit down and think about it and also requires you to be honest with yourself. Maybe that's the difficult that's part, the difficult like confronting part. the need to change, mm, you know, like or feeling like, oh, you know, I'm just bad with money, this yeah, kind of thinking. Yeah, yeah. So if you have people like that in your life, be gentle. Like understand that they might have a whole like life's worth of baggage behind them I'm that sure. is mm. that is um, interfering with their ability to confront themselves. Yeah. I mean, I've been telling people right, essentially the way you spend your money and the way you decide where to put, how to budget, what to invest is all a manifestation of your inner world, right? Yes, like, yes. Like, and I, your inner world is formed with all these experiences that you bring growing up, you know, and all that jazz, right? So money, right, is just that last thing that manifests in the external world. I agree with you. Right? So with, so with you. that in mind, right, for people that struggle, right, then the, the work is not just telling them more, you know, repeat that, oh, save more, especially the stupid waste mm. of time, right? Like people that already get it, they get it. People that can do it, they do it, right? It's it's the people that are kind of like in the middle, mm. and they may be very high income earners, you know. They may not be struggling, you know, guys, mm. right? But it's it's that that whole psyche that you need to unwind, and you know, sometimes they do need to find some comfort. Whether is it in a community, whether is it in like minded people, or like you know, even certain services or apps or whatever to kind of like move through that, you know, mm. or work through their deeper you know, uh, demons and, and all that, right? The, the baggage, la. baggage yeah. is a more neutral word. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's quite crazy. Like everything we were talking about just now on mm. our, like these apps, yeah. right? And our spending, is it even spending habits? The, the our behaviours that affect how we spend money yeah. and these behaviours are affected by things beyond just the money itself. Yes, yes. Um, and whether it comes from ourselves or influence from from bigger Parents, powers society yeah. anywhere yes yes and and like what you said right like a lot of these uh, big organizations and companies are capitalizing on that vulnerability yeah. you know and and we need to fortify ourselves right yeah. build the friction all that. that that's a much longer mm. discussion right but but right but but just specific so what are you then going to change for 2024 then in, mm. in terms of your budgeting framework with that big thing in mind 2024 will be a year of change for me um so naturally my budget will adapt to reflect that change so that i can i'm still taking care of my future self but my current self as well and your budget should always serve you right so for next year i foresee i'm still working on it um but i foresee myself having to spend more on fixed expenses for instance like i'll probably be spending more on food next year because I'll be going back to the office most days of the week now compared to my current situation where I'm working from home and so I can save more on food. Um, I'm also thinking that I might be reducing, wow, reducing my contributions to investments. So my my long-term goals, those will have to be to be sacrificed a bit, like just pulling back a bit so that I can put more money towards you know other things that like I really want to see how I can like what's the the threshold you know like I don't want to just push and push my 
savings. And savings, I mean, can be investments, can be savings for other things. Just basically money that you don't want to use right now. Like, I don't want to push and push without intention. Like, I, I want to maximize however much I can spend to the point where it doesn't bring me any more value. And then that's why I cut it off. I think next year, I will adjust the proportion such that I would be saving less compared to this year. To be fair, I think it's a very interesting and significant feeling. It's a very feeling thing, right? Mm -hmm. You reach a point where, why do you need to budget? Right and and that and that is a that is a very important point because two things have existed. One thing is you have kind of automated a lot of the big things. The second thing is you find so much comfort in where you are that anything extra is just extra, mm. right? And I think that's the place that a lot of people are hoping to be at, you know. And and it's not even like once again it's not dependent on your income. Everybody wants to feel that you know enough. Right, so what is enough is not just a number, but it's a feeling also, mm. right? And that enough level, I think that's kind of where, you know, maybe you are aiming for to kind of feel that comfort that you know yeah. oh, this is good enough. Anything more is more law. Yeah, you know, like I don't need more law. It's fine, right? And you you want to find that that space, mm. right? And 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 that that is a very nice space to be. Trust me, because I stay in Kuala Lumpur now, right? So I I stay in KL. For all of you that still don't know, I stay in KL. Every time you see me film, I'm in Singapore. Yes, but I stay in KL. And we all know the exchange rate, right? Mm. We understand this thing, you know, but I'm not a bird. Nah. I don't go there and cheap, 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 okay? Everything, right? So when I'm there, I mean, okay, after that, I come back, I can still feel that bliss, right? This is a, because, mm. I mean, I engineer myself to know what I want, what I don't want. So even when I come to Singapore, I don't feel the pressure, mm. you know, in any way. But there was a period of time when I was there that I have so much ease, right? Because it's just so easy mm. based on my income. Right to to live in care is very easy, but I think it is that comfort that I've experienced over a prolonged period that gave me a lot more confidence in doing bigger things. Right, and I think that's the part that a lot of ground up people, like middle class working professionals, are kind of trying to get. Whether is it from a psychological standpoint mm -hmm. or actually getting there, right? And once you get there, the 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 oh. The ideas open up, right? The possibilities open up and it's mm -hmm. a very nice place to be. In a similar vein, it's the scarcity mindset thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like especially mm -hmm. if you grew up poor. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Or middle class. No, but I tell you a lot of the middle class actually very poor one. It's just <laughs> there's a phenomenon of the middle class. Do you know this thing? I, like, I've heard essentially, about it, essentially yeah. people try to squeeze themselves in to believe that they're the middle class because the middle class is a trendy idea. Mm. But actually the, the the middle class as a term was built for tax. Okay, if you're going to read how this idea first came about in the US, it was because post-war boom, the US had a lot of people that were peasantry and working class that just made a lot of money. And now the government tried to think of how to tax them. So they created this term called the middle class. I see. Yes, and then a whole tax structure came about from there. So, but, but of course, after that, the, the, the term took a, a lot of, you know, beefing up and became trendy, became cool. Everybody wants to be in the middle class. So actually, mm. there's only ruling class and working class. Okay, but that's <laughs> another discussion. Everybody wants to be in the middle class. So a lot of people that seriously actually struggle they say that they're the middle class. This and they say that the middle class struggle. I tell you, at best, uh, you're middle low, right? And 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 you need to awake from that. But but that's a, a different another discussion. Yeah, yeah. That's another topic. Yes, needing that ease so that you don't feel this pressure to not really strive, but almost like catch up to this unseen standard um, that you think everybody else is at. If I psychoanalyze myself, I think why am I so 
why am I so obsessed about getting the best value, getting the best deals? Is it because I grew up poor? Like, yeah. um, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, yes. Um, I even had a theory around sharing, you know. Like, why do you need to share? Because you grew up poor. That's why you need to share. That's why sharing is a big anchor of the the mess. This idea. I'm, I have a lot of rich friends, right? They don't understand this idea of sharing. Mm. If you think about it, if you got a lot, right? Kid A wants this, Kid B wants it, but to buy them both. Like, don't need to share. I just share. Share for what? Yeah. Right? Don't need to share. So sharing becomes a very foreign concept to a lot of these mm. rich kids that grew up from a wealthy family. But sharing as an idea is very synonymous with the mess. Mm. Right? Because a lot of people grew up in a family that, yeah, I can only buy one computer, one table, right? Mm. Three of your share, right? Uh, this hour you, next hour you, next hour you, right? So it is just part and parcel of coming from the peasantry or the working class mm. right yeah and it, it is uh, part and parcel of it I mean eventually we get to a place that is a bit more comfortable and then when we are more comfortable then we can unwind some of these other things mm. and other baggages that we kind of bring along and then it will affect the way we look at money do money and budget from there right so I, I think it's part and parcel of the journey so I, I get it that is your 2024 20, 24 mm. thing right that you're gonna do and then uh, gonna do more videos right <laughs> comment section comment section right? tell Lisa do more videos mm, right yeah, yeah. It, we talk about personal finance and budgets and google sheets and everything but it's really confronting yourself and what you value I've learned a lot about myself just from looking at this thing of managing my money every month has sparked a lot of thoughts about what I value what I want to prioritize something else that I want to work on in 2024 is also I want to clarify for myself what exactly retirement looks like or could look like for me. Because right now, I'm just saving a pot of gold. I'm, I don't claim to be a, a, any sort of personal finance expert. I've never claimed to. And so this is still something that eludes me. I say, I tell my friends, save for your retirement. I preach on my, my YouTube channel, you know, you should save for long-term goals. But do you, have you thought about what those long-term goals are? Like the thought of me at 65, just saying, I'm done. I'm just going to live the rest of my life Um living off what I saved up in my youth. That, that is so vague. Like, what am I going to do every day? Do I have hobbies? Do I have relationships? And, you know, we talk about people not saving enough or not being able to save enough to retire. When you retire, do you plan on continuing to work on the side? Or are you really the kind of person who will not do any more paid work for the rest of your life? There's no correct answer, but what does... What do you think you'll want to do? What do I think I want to do at that age? So I'm going to have to do a lot of soul searching and just clarifying for myself what that future looks like. I think it would give me more motivation and drive. And I'm just generally a person who knowing what I'm working towards because mm. that gives me motivation and drive and also discipline if I know, if I can picture in my mind and visualize what that future looks like. And I think just now you alluded to um, a little bit of this thing called like uh, soft savings a mm. little bit, right? Because you're essentially looking to like save a little less, you know, uh, look at now. And soft savings is a new term, la. similar mm. to girl math, la, huh? everything like cat math, all, all sorts yeah. of math, right? So so like just uh, kind of get a bit of color. Like what do you, what's your take on these things? Like girl math, soft saving, oh. because my producer asked me to ask. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of these like new terms, adjective noun yes, like, trends. Yes, to substantiate. Yeah. yeah, like quiet quitting and yes, then quiet yes. firing. Yeah, I I see it as a pushback against the hustle culture, the girl boss 
era of the 2010s, um, 2014, that time. It seems new, but it's just a reaction to that very, very stressful, very uh, intense period of wanting to push yourself to the limit to be the best, to empower yourself or your community. Hustle culture was a huge thing huge. in the 2010s. Yeah. Um, and it left a lot of people feeling burnt out. Girl boss is the gendered manifestation of that. It's uh, it's the pendulum swing on the other end. And I, I like it. I think it's very thoughtful. It forces you to be intentional, right? I think. At least mm. you are there, the, there's the intention to save and the understanding that there's a necessity, but not not at the expense of your life now. Yeah, fair, fair. And, and, and let's be clear, it is not dichotomous, yeah? Okay, like you can... Um, be intentional about what you're doing now. Be a bit more tarik about, you know, your your very intense retirement plan. You can slow down a little bit, but still at the same time work towards it, right? Like mm. you can still achieve those goals. Maybe by, you know, a, sh- a longer period of time, you can still achieve them. And it's not just like relax, right? It's, 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 a, it's a little bit of trying to find the ground where at the same time you live a decent quality of life now that you don't hate right at the same time you work towards where you want to go right mm. so so that is that that uh, maybe that soft saving mm. side of things but, but okay the internet will take this term in a very different way eventually in three years time yeah right so as with as with all internet terms right so don't quote us uh, in, the, yeah. in the future i see on the internet um slow life gentle productivity yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like a mesh of the self-care movement with the finance movement yeah yeah I yeah. see that a lot. I see that mm. a lot. I saw it. I was like, but I feel like they're a bit much. Uh. But that's a different discussion. Different discussion. Like, like it's gotten a little too much, right? You still gotta hustle. You still gotta like, you know, if you want something, you gotta work for it. You gotta mm. like grind it out. It's for sure, right? But like, where is that ground where you can grind it out, do well and hustle for what you want, but at the same time, not kill yourself now, mm. you know, and like be, live a decent quality of life and still, you know, achieve that goal. I think mm-hmm. that's the spot that a lot of us would like to find, but there's no real term for 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 this group like, other than mm-hmm. called success. Like, mm-hmm. Right? So, <laughs> so it becomes it becomes an interesting, you know, dichotomy that people start to set it up with between two different sides. Right. So so it is what it is. Okay, great. I, I think we we went on a lot. I love it. You know, I think there's so much more. I'm sure we can do more. You know, but maybe last question. When my when I saw the production script, I was like, really? There's this thing, right? So this last question is like, apparently my producers say that Karl Marx is quite an influence to you <laughs> in terms of his philosophy, right? So Marxism, uh, we're not Marxists, uh, just say <laughs> Marxism is a dangerous word here uh, in Singapore, <laughs> but but yeah. So can you just, in closing, share with us, I know it's a heavy last question. Uh, how, how does Karl Marx's philosophy you know, influence your way of life and your finances and all that? There's that one quote that um, really impressed on me that I shared in my net worth video. It was a rare like light bulb moment when I read that um when I read that quote, when I chanced upon it. Karl Marx, he he was around during the time of the Industrial Revolution, right? In the in Europe, um, in the eighteen hundreds. And the Industrial Revolution, that was when people were moving from agrarian societies, very sort of self-sufficient communities, to what looks what our modern life looks like now like in these factories people were being made to work for 12 hours six days a week it was just a really it was a different time compared to what came immediately before now we look at it and it's like it's just like a unrefined version of how we how we function now you know factories being dirty work 
labor laws non-existent. But that really shaped how our modern life is operates now. Um, and Karl Marx, he he saw it for what it was, which was people were being dehumanized as simply units of production, working in these factories, sacrificing their time and their life to make, you would say, the, the ruling class rich. And so that quote resonates. Like I, I find his perspective useful in just grounding me and not thinking about myself in such a dehumanizing, alienating way. You know, like as a like think of myself less as a unit of production and more as a human being. We talked about the hustle culture and you know, I could always work harder, push myself more, but that also means sacrificing other areas of my life that make me happy, that improves my life in other ways, um, like my health and my relationships, um, my purpose and my meaning. It's hard to quantify that. And when you cannot quantify something, some it, it's valued less. It's not in the formula. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the less you drink, read, go to balls, that's what he says, the less you are. I, I think as a human being, your goal is to have experiences, to live your life, to take care of yourself and others. And that is my North Star, not what my productive output is at the end of my life. So his his perspective is is helpful to me in that way um, to center myself to ground myself. Nice, mm. nice. Not saying we are Marxists, huh? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yes, yes. That's a different discussion. Okay, okay. So thank you for your time. You know, I uh, hope to have you on the show again. You know, to talk about the other big things and all the best for twenty twenty four. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nice. nice.